Good evening, family. Warm welcome. It's always good to see the hearty souls who come out Sunday night to meet with the Lord and hear another portion of the word. This evening, I'd like to ask everyone a, a question. And the question is, have you ever seen an infomercial? When I mean the infomercial, I mean the one-minute kind. There are the 30-minute kinds. And if you've seen that, don't admit it. OK, if you've watched the whole thing, because, oh, yikes, they're bad. But they have infomercials for everything. And they, they have uh, product X that makes your teeth white and your breath fresher. They have a pill that will burn all the fat away. They have a device that will give you six-pack abs. They have pills that will, will, I think it's called ginkgo biloba, and it'll make your memory just, just crystal clear and you'll recall everything and your mental faculties will be just heightened beyond expectations. They have devices and products that'll take away aches and joints and cure illnesses and all that, everything. Well, if I told you I had something that would do all that, Let's just make it easy, a pill, something great. If I had something great, and I told you I've got that, what would you think? Well, you would probably think a few things, probably around three things. The first thing you would, might think is, well, Carl, why don't you use it on yourself? Okay, that's, that's harsh. But you would think that. You would say, well, Carl, you could name your price if you had something like that, that actually did that. And lastly, you would probably say, why don't you share it with everybody? Because everybody should have this, product X. Well, I don't have product X. I wouldn't mind having it. But you know what? I have something better. I have a faith in the creator of the universe, that he loves me, and that he loves you, and that what he ultimately wants is that you and I will love him in return so we get to live with him forever and ever. And that's better than all the products in all the world. But you know what? The same ideas stand. So if I tell somebody I've got that, you know what they're going to think? Why don't you use it on yourself, Carl? Okay? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. If you're in Corinthians, flip back to Romans. We're going to look at chapter 2 of Romans. We're going to start in verse 17. Romans chapter 2. And here Paul writes, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, 
an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Now, I understand this passage is, talking, is referring to the Jews who were under the Old Testament, the old law, and to Jewish Christians who were looking to the Old Testament, the old law, instead of looking to the law of Christ. But by principle, it's saying, if you say you have this, why don't you do this? When he says, for example, you, in verse 21, or it, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? You should be doing this. If I tell you I've got a product that makes your teeth white, you're going to look at my teeth. If I say I have a product that's going to give you six-pack abs, you're going to look at my waist, and so on and so forth. If I tell you I have a faith in the Creator, that I am a Christian, you're going to look at my life. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Now that's the negative. We understand that. There's a positive side to this too. And let's turn over to the book of First uh, Peter. Hebrews, James, First Peter, Second Peter. We're going to look at First Peter, chapter three. And this is a very specific application where Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 with husbands and wives. And he says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. We saw the negative, and if you do not, if you preach against stealing, do you not steal? Here's the positive, and here's an application of it where Peter is saying, wives, it's not that they leave their husbands that don't believe, it's they are to win them over. And how are they to win them over? That's a really powerful phrase there. One over without words. Wow. By their behavior, by their example, they're going to win over their spouse by their words. Of course, it's not limited to marriage relationships, but to our relationships, our circle, our bosses, our coworkers, our friends, our family, our brothers and sisters. That is the positive, that we have this wonderful thing, this wonderful faith, and this is how we are to use it. So let's look at our next question there. We looked at why don't you use it on yourself. You could name your price. That is to say that you could exploit people if you wanted to with this wonderful product. Let's turn back to 2 Corinthians. So it's Acts, Romans, 1st, 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
We're going to start reading in verse 3. Before I do, though, who here has not seen or heard of a TV preacher who has been ridiculous with what they have done? If you're of any age and you think of Jim and Tammy Baker, they had a theme park. They had a pyramid scheme that was, was based and, and they ended, it ended up collapsing. But they were bringing in millions and millions of dollars. They had indulgences and luxuries. For example, of the, the one account, they spent $1,500 on cinnamon buns just because they liked the smell in their hotel suite. And then they tossed them out, things of that nature. And you see preachers, you can turn on the cable down and see preachers making ridiculous claims, the health and wealth gospel of the last thing I saw was a divine interaction where God will heal your, your debts and give you money. If you just give me money, God will send many times over that money to you. Faith in God, wonderful. But they exploit it. And they exploit people. Especially on TV. You know what? It's not limited to the TV age. It goes all the way back because people are people. It goes all the way back to the writing of the New Testament age. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 3, Paul writes, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Should they be putting up with those things? No, not at all. But he says, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. And here he's being sarcastic, but he's talking about people that elevated themselves above Paul. In today's age, day and age, they would be the TV preachers, so prevalent. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Here Paul was being supported by other churches so he could support and preach to the church at Corinth. Not that, that all preachers are to work free, that's not what it's saying, but that Paul was extending himself even that much more. And those that preach for free are to be extra honored for that. Verse 19, go down. In verse 19 he takes it up, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or pushes himself forward, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Paul's just dripping with sarcasm here. He's saying, these people that are saying they're super apostles, they're exploiting you. They're taking advantage of you in every way and deceiving you, just like today's TV preachers. Yes, you have this wonderful thing, and it can be exploited, and sadly it is. 
So we see that people can exploit even a wonderful thing like faith in the Creator. Let's look at our third question and last question this evening. Why not share it with everybody? What if you were in a doctor's office sitting in a room full of patients and you see a person with obvious terminal cancer and that is such a sad and pathetic sight. It just moves your heart. You want to just reach out there and, and heal them, touch them. What would you do if you had the cure? If you had that magic pill that you could give them to cure the cancer, would you keep it to yourself? Well, of course you wouldn't. Let's turn to 2 Peter, where we were just recently. Let's turn back over to 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, verse 3, and chapter 3, verse, excuse me, verse 9. Here Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. And his promise here is referring to his return to take God's people home and end everything. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, everybody you and I meet and know is one of two things. They're either perishing or they've come to repentance. That is, they're either perishing without God or they've changed their minds. Because that's what repentance means. It means to change your mind. Well, what does it mean to change your mind? What is this referring to? Let's flip back one book to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll see in verse 1 just what that change of mind is. Therefore, in verse 1, since Christ suffered in his body, and that's referring to crucifixion his crucifixion, and his subsequent resurrection. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, that is, to humble yourselves and to obey. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. I'm done with that. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. That's his change of mind, right there but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. And nobody here is bowing down to an idol. But for us in this modern day and age, it means to have an inordinate desire for material things, material possessions. They become our idols in this modern day and age. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Oh, you're no fun. Here comes the drag. Here's the goody two-shoes that won't, do, won't go along with the crowd. And they abuse you, and of course in much worse and different ways. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, we've changed our mind. We are no longer perishing. We have changed our mind to turn from our will to God's will. Well, what does this change bring? 
What does this, what does this change result in? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we just were a few minutes ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and there's a neat phrase here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 21, Paul says, well, I'll start in verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile, talking about the wise people of this world, not of godly wisdom. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. He says, all things are yours. That includes a lot, doesn't it? All things. Well, let's see exactly what that does include. Let's turn back to Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And we're going to see here that all things means immortality and an eternal home. And in Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 11, where Paul writes, actually we'll start in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And from this verse comes the phrase, keep your eyes on the prize. And of course it rhymes, so it's easy to remember. But the, that's the idea here. Well, what is the prize? Well, we look down at verse 20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is, they will be immortal. We will be immortal. We will leave behind the aches and pains. I know I feel a lot different than when I was in my teens and 20s. You might too. We're going to leave all those aches and pains and frailties and sickness and suffering behind. We will, God is waiting to make us immortal. And he's also waiting to give us an eternal home. Let's turn to the last book of the Bible. And we'll read our next to last verse for this evening. Revelation chapter 21. With an immortal body clothed in immortality. This is our home. This is what we look forward to. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, some of my favorite verses, where John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of, the, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That is the church, that is God's people, the bride of Christ, our husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What's our eternal home going to be like? There's not going to be any mourning or crying or pain. We're going to be with God, and we're going to be with those that love God and love us forever and ever. So... I have something great. It won't whiten your teeth, improve your memory, or give you six-pack abs. Those are all nice. But I do have something much, much better. It's the faith in the Creator to make, us, to make me a Christian, to make you a Christian, to make us as sons and daughters, and that faith that leads to immortality and to an eternal home with him in heaven. It doesn't depend on me or else it wouldn't be great. It depends on the good Lord who is more than great. To everyone who does not have this, I would say, I have something great and I want you to have it too. How do you have it? Let's turn to our last passage this evening and that's the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In chapter 2. We're here, the preacher, who is Peter, is speaking, and he concludes his sermon in chapter 2, in verse 36. He says, therefore let all Israel, and by principle that means all the world, all of us, be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Are you sure that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have you changed your mind about living your life for yourself and now willing to live your life for God? Then what stops you from being baptized, immersed in water, this day in the name of Jesus Christ to wash away all your sins, all your wrongs, all your failures, all the bitter past, and becoming a brand new child of God. I have something great, and I want you to have it too. So if you're willing, why don't you come forward now while we stand and sing.